Welcome to another episode of the Front Row Material Brand. My name is Mike Freeland, soon to be joined by my good personal longtime friend, Christopher Butt. Coming up on this episode, so many things are happening in the world of wrestling. We have a brand new AEW world champion. His name is Samoa Joe. Deanna Perrazzo, she's joined AEW. But is there more to come? And Julia, what is she going to be doing? She left Japan on a flight to the United States to compete in Pan Strong in the Valley, but she still doesn't have a contract from AEW or WWE. So where could she be heading? We got some news on a wrestler who was doing his civic duty and helping somebody get out of a burning car. All that and so much more. But let's go ahead and let's bring him in now. Christopher Butt, the man from the north. What's going on, buddy? This is it, Mike. Another Tuesday night catching up with you. Our... About neck deep in snow up here. Seems it's been snowing every day. I've uh, got another, I don't know, six or eight inches today, I guess it's been. And yeah, it's winter. It's cold. It's a lot of snow, but it could be worse. Life's good. Well, last time I got six or eight inches, I was in that correctional facility uh, in northern Ohio. Um, plus, uh, I don't get constipated. Um, Mike hasn't got six or eight wrestling. inches since you met her. And that's, this is this is true. <laughs> you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Do I look like I'm a snowstorm down there? No. I'm what we call a few flurries, and that's about it. Or as my wife likes to say, hey, we could probably get this done in the commercial break. Let's go. Let's go ahead and let's let's talk about some of these crazy things that are happening in the world of wrestling right now and the first thing I want to get to is we have a new AEW world champion and that is Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe defeated Maxwell Jacob Friedman uh, to become the new AEW world champion. Did we really go in depth the last time we talked about this? No we did not. Well, let me ask you this question. There's there's a people that I've been talking to online. I've been getting some DMs on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Some people are really excited about Samoa Joe being uh, the AEW world champion. Some people are not. Let's go ahead and let's break this down and let's finally find out what the Butster has to say. Is this a good idea? Is this a good man to carry the championship? Or do we feel like should have gone younger if you're going to move in a future direction? He's a good short-term answer. Uh, Max is beat up from everything you hear. He needs a bit of time off. Uh, Joe's serviceable. He's a big name. Good wrestler. Uh, AEW's schedule works fantastic for him because Joe has battled injury issues in the past. The later schedule helps him out a little bit. I think that's kind of why they came out with the, the new rules to get a championship shot. I think that had a lot to do with it. I don't have an issue with it. He still puts out great matches. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time Joe put off a match and you're like, nah, that kind of sucks. No, I honestly I don't can't think, think of one. He's no, cool. I can't. I mean, and, and the things that Samoa Joe has done, I mean, first of all, when you think of Joe, you think of obviously what he did in Ring of Honor. And I actually got to see him when he was in Ring of Honor. So we're talking pre-TNA. Uh, I was watching Samoa Joe. And then what he did in TNA. And then what he did in WWE, which I felt like he put on great matches. And I feel like he really should have deservingly gotten the WWE championship, but he never did. Um, and then he was he was sidelined with with tons of injuries and he became a commentator for a while. And Joe talked about, you know, how he became a color commentator and why that happened. And he basically said my body had been beaten up for so many years. I had never really taken the time to address the issues. And it was time for my body just to heal, but for me to stay on camera and still stay a presence inside WWE. And, and I think he did a really great job. Unfortunately, once he got healthy, WWE decided, you know what? Uh, we're going to move on from you. Do you think that was a mistake looking back in hindsight to not keep go around in some capacity in WWE? No, not at that point. Cause I don't want to say he was, dead weight that's harsh but 
he probably wasn't living up to his contract. Joe must have been fetching a pretty penny when he was in WWE. I don't know how much, but he was he was doing well for himself. So if you're gonna bring him in just to be a color commentator, as as a financial decision, it's not uh, Michael Cole, who's a good commentator. A lot of people beat up on him. I like Michael Cole. I doubt he was making Samoa Joe money. Corey Graves, I hope to Christ he's not making Samoa Joe money. So it was a financial move more than anything. I think I don't think it was a bad move. At that point, Joe wasn't gonna be wrestling or wasn't gonna be wrestling as much. It's hard to justify paying somebody so much money, whatever it would be, if you're only getting half of what you pay for, if that makes sense. No, it does. It's, I mean, you want to get a pure financial money. thing. It's 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 a dollars and cents. No, I I agree. You're right. It's it's nothing personal. Um, I was checking some things here. I don't see what his salary was in WWE, but I can tell you when he did sign his contract with AEW, he earns eight hundred thousand dollars a year from his current contract. He also gets additional income um, for pay per view appearances, and he also gets a good portion of merchandising sales as well um and he also has the abilities to go do outside projects as well so almost a million i mean you know he's grossing over a million a year with eight hundred thousand base salary and then obviously he's getting more money for working pay-per-views getting more money for his merchandise sales and then the ability to be flexible with working on outside projects i think he's really been taken care of well as far as Tony Khan's concerned. I mean, for a man who arguably, you know, has been injury prone and who's not a spring chicken. I mean, I'm not saying that he should be put out to pasture, but I definitely think that Samoa Joe is, is doing well at this stage of his career. Would you agree? Absolutely. 800 K for really a part-time schedule. That's what AEW is. It's pretty part-time. That's not a bad deal, man. Right, plus just throwing pay-per-view bonuses, no merch, no, and the freedom to do other things. He was in a movie, was he not, or a TV show or something? Not long yeah, ago. Yeah, he was. He was working with. Um, I want to say it was on Peacock. Um, gosh, I don't know why this is uh, passing me by here. He was that psycho clown. Um, shoot, why can't I remember that? Give me one second. I'll pull Ted this up B- here. Let's say that again. Ted Bundy. No, 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 no. He was playing the character of Sweet Tooth, the killer clown, um, in a series for uh, Peacock. Um, I'm trying to pull this up here, what the name of that was. I should know this. Uh, let me take a peek here. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, Twisted Metal is the name of it. So we've been excited for Samoa Joe to be featured as Sweet Tooth, the killer clown who drives a weaponized ice cream truck in a post-apocalyptic world uh, known as Twisted Metal ever since Peacock's announced that its live adaptation uh, is now being um, shown based off the video game. So Samoa Joe is in that. Um, should be good. Should be really good. I've not gotten to see it, but I'm very excited about it. He plays a really good heel. He plays a good monster. And I feel like Joe definitely has the abilities to do more with acting. I just feel like he's very, very strong. He comes across the screen really well. Um, Let me ask you, as far as his championship reign, how long do you think you see this going for? Do you think this is going to be something until Max comes back? Or do you think somebody's going to get the belt before Max comes back? Six months. I think it's a, he's an in, not an interim. 
Ingram's the wrong word. Um, a short-term answer, I think. Once again, not taking nothing away from him. He's going to do great for him. Right. He's he's not the long-term answer. He's just going to give him some time, give the belt some significant value, and then they're going to put it on somebody else. It won't. I don't think it'll be Max coming right back. Honestly. Do you think so? Do you think the word transition champion is a good word to use? I mean, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but do you think when it comes to the championship, I mean, a champion is a champion. Let's just be honest with us right here. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you think transition champion applies in this situation or not necessarily? Yeah, that was actually the perfect world word. I just couldn't think of it. So I don't, that's the word I would have went with if I could have came to me. Well, Samoa Joe has made some comments, and his first appearance as AEW World Champion came at Dynamite Homecoming, which was in Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida, where Joe basically announced that people can't just come out anymore to the ring. No, if they want a match, they got to take it straight to Tony Khan and get it approved before everyone starts clamoring for what they believe is their fair opportunity. So that's Samoa Joe basically saying that at the end of the things are going to be changing. It's a new world when it comes to the championship inside AEW. Uh, Joe also has gone on record uh, basically saying that the pettiness needs to stop. I'm going to go into this and I want to read this article. This was uh, by Yahoo Sports. I do also believe this was also published elsewhere. It's a Samoa Joe shares his thoughts on winning the AEW World Championship. And he also talks to Justin Barso of Sports Illustrated about some of the things that need to happen and things that need to change. Um, before I kind of go into Joe's comments here, when Joe says some of the petty stuff, do you think he's kind of uh, quietly pointing a finger to some things that have been happening backstage with some of the younger guys, kind of a, hey, guess what? I see what's going on. I'm actually calling you out. Possibly. Uh, I would hope that it's more of a blanket statement because there's been a lot of petty bullshit in AEW. It's been going on right from Jump Street. And maybe Joe is your locker room leader, like Undertaker was in WWE, to, to sort that out. I'm okay with that. I actually... I'm more than okay with it. I love it. Joe goes on to say, I understand the world of professional wrestling. I've seen things work at a very high level, and I understand the types of people that are backstage that takes to make things happen. Trust me, I understand. I try to not be one of those people. Now, as a champion, um, I am happy to make sure that I carry the mantle for here. I want to focus on giving the fans the attention back that they want. Conflict in the ring. That's where the focus should be. A lot of the petty stuff needs to melt away. Let's go back to entertaining people. I can't say it much better than that. No, I agree with him 100%. And and we've talked about in AEW that, you know, one of their, you know, one of the things that people say about them is there's a lot of immaturity issues there. You know, Tony Khan is a fanboy. The company's not going to last. They're not going to get a TV deal. All these things are are starting to, to come out and, you know, Cody Rhodes ends up leaving and you start to wonder, you know, how tumultuous is AEW? But then you start to see people like the Moxleys and the Jerichos and the Samoa Joes really start to take ownership of what's going on. And I respect that as far as how the locker room should be led. It should be led by example. And I'm really happy to see that Joe is willing to take that step up now personally this is my thoughts whenever joe decides to retire i would hope that tony khan would keep him on to be a backstage person i think he would be tremendous because 
a lot of the the coaches that AEW have now follow me on this. We know some of the coaches, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm part and parceling my words. But the kids now they didn't grow up on them. They, they simply did not. These kids are in their early twenties. They didn't grow up on ECW. They they didn't grow up on Dean Malenko, Man of a Thousand Holds, the Monday Night Wars, all that kind of stuff. They really didn't. And I think the big problem is is they don't see these guys as people of, I don't want to say not of stature because I don't think that's a fair statement, but I feel like there's there's so much of a gap generationally between them that it's like, I really don't see that. Um, and I think with Joe, I think Joe is, I mean, Joe has competed with the Jerry Lynn's and Joe's been around since God knows how long, but Joe's still around now and he's still competing at a high level. And I think they're more willing to maybe listen to somebody that they can relate to, and maybe that age gap isn't as large. Not to say the age gap should have a, a, a factor into whether or not you take someone's advice. I mean, that that's we take teachers' advice, and, and we're not even close to being the same age as our students. But do you think that that Joe definitely has more of an influence on the younger generation because of his his connection with actually being in the locker room as opposed to some of the the coaches who are? Let's be honest, they're much much older. I could see that. Uh, it's a valid comment for sure. Valid thought. Uh, just play devil's advocate for a minute, if you don't mind. Sure. Your younger talent coming in, would they not know history a little bit? Know who Dustin Rhodes is? Know who Dean Malenko is? Know who Christopher Daniels? Know, of course, our friend Jerry Lynn. Like, come on. Like, I get it. Yeah, they're a little bit older. A lot of guys in WWE or in AEW didn't wrestle against them. Well, CD. I don't know wrestled against Christopher Daniels, but Jerry, they haven't. And, right. and Dean, they've wrestled against Dustin. Right. But they've seen him around. Dustin's still wrestling, not on a full-time basis. Uh, Billy, he's still wrestling, and he's one of the backstage coaches as well. Um, Yeah. I guess where you're going to get the thing is just on a – not what somebody's done, just on a pure – age thing and very similar to what you brought up as well not to reiterate it but joe is closer in age than jerry is sure but those guys that are in AEW, like i said they know history and and you would hope just on knowing anything you would appreciate jerry when he wrestled dean when they wrestled yeah they're a little bit well let's be honest they're dinosaurs compared to jack perry and hook Right, I mean, God, they could be their almost grandfathers, as bad as that sounds, but it's not far off, right? Right, but you you should still understand and appreciate and realize. Listen, these guys paved the way for you. I, I'm kind of torn. Around. I could see him listen to to Joe, yeah, probably a little bit more because he's he is the most recent superstar out of the bunch. Mm, that makes sense. It does. It makes complete sense. You know what I'm saying? He's the most recent superstar out of them all, but they should be listening to the other guys too. Just out of a pure respect thing. Listen, if Dean Malenko tells you you're doing something wrong in the ring, you're doing it wrong in the ring. Yeah. Period. End of discussion. No, because in his day, he would tie you in a knot and not bat an eyelash. And you couldn't stop it. Jerry's exact same thing. So I would imagine they still know it, but yeah, Joe is the more more recent. So yeah, maybe listen to a little bit more. 
but I'm not sure it's the right answer. I'm not sure it's the right thing. Sorry. Well, I'm just kind of wondering because when you when you look at when people say there's a maturity issue backstage and then you, you say to yourself, well, by God, they got the Moxleys and the Jericho's and the Samoa Joe's and they got people within the company who've been there, who've done that. And, and, you know, a lot of the issues that some of these talent are having, you would think somebody would pull them aside and say, what the hell are you doing? And I can tell you from, you know, my own perspective, um, no matter what you do sometimes, I mean, even as a teacher, when you pull people aside, they're not going to change unless they want to change. And you can have as many heart to hearts as you want, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they want to change because if they don't see anything wrong with what they're doing, that's kind of a big deal. That's kind of a problem. And I think that's what you have with, with AEW. Now that would not fly in WWE. I mean, if you even looked the wrong way and disrespected somebody, I, your ass is toast. But maybe that's the difference between the way the two companies are handled. One company, you have a lot more freedom to speak your mind and to be your own person, where in WWE, you're very much, you know, here I am, I'm the employee, I need to make sure I'm following this, that, and whatever, and, you know, I better not step on anybody's toes or uh, I might be shown the door. But there's a happy medium, too. You, you might not need to go the dictator route that WWE goes at times. But we all know you damn well sure can't go to gong show route. To no, you can't. I agree with that. Like there's a middle point. AEW store, uh, WWE is doing something right. right? So yeah, maybe no, it's I, a little. I, I agree. I think they definitely are doing something right. And I think at the end of the day, the biggest thing you got to look at is the culture and the climate of a company. That tells you what direction they're going in. WWE is going in a really good direction. Do I feel like AEW has the potential? God, they have all the potential in the world. Now, are they ever going to put it all together? I don't know. That's that's the big question. Um, but we'll we'll see. We'll, we'll find out if the reign of Samoa Joe uh, being there is going to have a, a a greater impact. Also, interesting to see if the reign of Samoa Joe is going to bring more viewers in. You know, AEW still been hovering right around that anywhere from upper seven hundred thousands to nine hundred thousands, never quite getting to a million. But I think it's interesting to see. As things continue, as more stars come back from injury, what is going to happen? Because we've been missing a lot of people uh, in AEW. That brings me to the next point, Butster. We just got a recent addition. I know you're not always happy with Tony Khan opening up his checkbook and, and getting someone new, but Deanna Perrazzo is officially in AEW. She basically tells the world that she's arrived here in AEW. She's excited to be here. Um, it, it's a dream come true. Let me ask you this question. Gianna Peraza, do you think she brings um, yet another level of cr credibility to the women's division in AEW? And do you feel like this was money well spent? She brings some name recognition, for sure. Um, not a huge name. Unfortunately, she's coming from TNA, so she's she's coming from a, a lower-tier federation. But she definitely has name recognition. Uh, money well spent? I don't know. Depends what you're paying her. But she'll help. She won't hurt. She definitely will not hurt, I don't think. But once again, we're back to the same thing I've brought up umpteen times. Where are you going to get the time? Who's suffering? Because she's coming in. One comes in. Is one going out or one just getting buried? What well, here's the thing you got to think about here. I think with the women's division, 
it has some good talent, but it also has some people who definitely need time to grow. Um, when we look at Julia Hart, yeah, they put the championship on her, and I know you're a fan of Julia. She still needs a lot of work, um, and I think they put the championship on her to help build her confidence and to get her more exposure on TV, on the mic, in the ring with more qualified uh, talent. I mean, they've been putting her with Chris Statlander. They've been putting her with Willow Nightingale, which I feel like is great. But when it comes to big-time matches, I mean, I really expected more with her and Anna Jay. And, and I don't know if we talked about this. It just didn't work. It, it just didn't gel very well. So I'm thinking that you bring Deanna Perazzo in, I think she's really going to solidify some of that stuff that Britt Baker used to fill. Because Britt Baker, I mean, keep in mind, she's been gone for most of 2023, and she hasn't even been in here in 2024 yet either. And I think if you bring in someone like Deanna Perrazzo, I think she's definitely going to be someone who is a name. She has a ton of talent. She's not that spring chicken who's going to be making a lot of stupid mistakes. I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to bring in some of these people that can say, hey, you know what, we really need to elevate some of these younger talent. And we also have to give some of these other veteran talents better matches too. I mean, think about it. You have Ruby Soho, who clearly is talented but she hasn't gotten her just due she really hasn't you have Soraya who some people say might not have been the best signing but we haven't gotten to see a whole lot of her you can't have Tony Storm completely carry the women's division because that's more of a of a character gimmick thing instead of actual an in-ring bell-to-bell type of person you're bringing back uh, the professor I don't know why her name is slipping my mind right now um, Serena Deeb I just think right now the women's division needs an injection it needs a big injection they have talent do not get me wrong but if you're looking to make more women's championships, meaning you already have a TBS champion, you already have an AEW women's champion, there is conversations about a women's tag team or a women's trios. So if you're looking to do different things like this and you're looking to put more women's matches on TV, which a lot of AEW fans do want, it's got to be good quality matches. You know, I know you talked about not being a big fan of Abaddon, which is fair. Um, I also think in the same regard, you know, for every Abaddon, you're going to have to have somebody who kind of counterbalances that, right? Somebody who can definitely go bell to bell. And I think that that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to beef up the roster and they're going to try to do something that is really big. They want to have, in essence, a, a Kenny Omega or an MJF female version to carry the women's division. They have that. I liked it with Britt. But it can't just be one person. I think there's got to be a little bit more than that. So what happens when Jamie Hader comes back and Britt comes back? So now you got Deanna Perrazzo. Yeah. You know, you got Britt, Jamie Hader, Ruby Soho, who's already getting used terribly. Okay. Serena Deeb, yep. who has not been used well for the damn. Well, she's also, keep in mind, she also had some really bad health situations happen. She did. Which kept her out for a while. But even before that, they weren't using her well. Yeah, Thunder Rosa's back now. Thunder Rosa's back. So you, that's a pretty good lineup. Well, think about it from okay. this perspective. If you put two to three, let's say you do two women's matches on a Dynamite. And then let's say you do two women's matches or so on a Rampage, two women's <laughs> matches on a Collision. And you really start to get things going. Like, I feel like some of these fresh faces are good. And I also think you may see some contracts not get renewed as well. And I think that's what's going to kind of keep things in balance. I really they, do. They have to let some contracts go. Sure. No, I agree with you. Once I agree 100%. Back with to you. the bloated process. And you can't just keep bringing people in. You need to develop your Sky Blue, your Anna J, 
your Julia Hurt, whoever well, it would be. You need to develop. I agree with that completely. I think that Anna Jay is unique. Anna Jay doesn't work everyone's style because we saw that. That didn't work with Julia. When it comes to Sky Blue, Sky Blue says she definitely wants to get more on the aggressive side with matches. Uh, she recently went on and said she wanted to have a, uh, a hardcore or street fight matches. She says she really likes that type of style, which is great. Like, I don't think Ty Conti, even when she is is back from, you know, maternity leave, is going to be at that level. Um, have we seen the peak of Britt Baker? Maybe. Do we think that we never really had a great rival with Britt Baker? In some ways, we had, um, which could have been um, Jamie Hayter if they would have gone in that direction. They never pulled the trigger on that, which was a problem. They had Thunder Rosa, who was really good, and then Thunder Rosa stepped away for a while. So I think what you need to do is you need to have a good, healthy, rotating women's division where you can kind of put a lot of these women on multiple different shows and, and really showcase their talent. Because right now, they're having matches. But look at the matches they're having. It, it's it's predominantly your Sky Blue, your Willow Nightingale, your Chris Statlander. Um, those three, for one example, are on all the time. And I feel like you got to do something with that. You got you to gotta mix a little bit new into that. And I think Deanna's definitely going to be that person. Well, that's just another example, unfortunately, of shitty writing. It's a toughie Sorry, right, right there. It's a toughie. No doubt about that. I wouldn't um, want to do it. I wouldn't want to be a writer. I couldn't do it. It'd be too hard to keep everything straight. I, not at all. It's not an easy job. So when, when I make my snide comments about Tony Khan's writing, yes, I mean it, but I couldn't do better. Well, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the evolution of Tony as well. I think we're, we're gosh, I hope he evolves. That kind of brings me to my next one. Uh, Tony Khan and Twitter. Um, oh, Tony Khan uh, basically had some verbal back and forths with the fact that he was using cage match, which is okay. For most of you who listen to the show, probably know what cage match is. It's a, it's a wrestling website and it's not news, but it's basically statistics. So you can look up a wrestler, see their wins and losses, see how their matches were rated, who, what promotions they've wrestled in, how many matches they've wrestled every year since their career started who trained them, all that kind of stuff. So it's really kind of an encyclopedia. Basically, he was talking about, and I don't even know how it started, but there was a situation where Hook is getting a shot at Samoa Joe, which I don't think any of us believe it's going to be a title change. Jinder Mahal got brought into the conversation. You know, Jinder Mahal getting a title shot against Seth Rollins, and it would went back and forth and back and forth, and I don't even think most people remember the how it even started but it's just it's to the point where like you're getting caught up in the weeds why are you having discussions on twitter about who wins and who loses and what is it it almost reminds me of american football so the new york jets my team had head coach called rex ryan and rex ryan did a lot of talking and when they were winning that was fine he could do his talking but when things weren't going so well, the talking really kind of got old. And he ended up putting a starter in the last preseason game before the regular season starts, and he got injured. And when questioned, why would you put a starter in when you're basically just auditioning backup people at this point? Uh, he said, I went out there. I, it's We wanted to win the game. A preseason NFL game is basically a scrimmage just to see who's going to potentially make the squad or who's going to be on the practice team, the practice squad. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things where it's like you really lose track of what's the most important thing. 
and getting into verbal arguments or whatnot with people online is probably not what's best. Yes, as Vince McMahon would say, any talk is good talk because it's talk. But with Tony Khan, I feel like it's a little bit different. Um, it's so hard to pull away from the fanboy stuff. It's so hard because you want to defend somebody, but then you get to the point where you look at it and go, they're right, I'm trying to defend somebody who just continues to do things that continue to support the theories of what everyone else feels. I don't know. Somebody needs to take his Twitter away from him. Yeah. He needs some creative control. Like, if he comes up, I want to tweet this he's got to answer to somebody and they tweet it out for him and if he comes up some stupid they say no he's out of control on twitter Mike. He he's a little out of control out of control yeah all right well when we come back from our next segment we're gonna talk a little bit more about what's going on in the world of wrestling what are some things that are happening in wwe that we feel like are going really well what are some things that we scratch our head and go oh, I don't know about that. But between now and then, we have something called Front Row Referee. We talk to the referees in the world of professional wrestling. We pick their brain. We get their stories. We find out some of the insight of what happens, not only inside the squared circle, but what it's like traveling up and down the roads. Let's go ahead and let's bring the guys in. First of all, he's an ECW legend. He is an icon. His name is Jim Molino. Jim, what's going on, buddy? Yeah, I'm doing great. How about you guys? Doing well, Jim. We are well. How are you doing with uh, with the snow, my friend? Is Snowmageddon in full swing? Yeah, it's, it's, it snowed like two inches. Like it's never done it before. It's crazy because I remember some of your tweets. I audibly laugh out loud when my <laughs> wife's putting our baby to bed. And I'm like, God, I love Jim. This is fantastic. Um, if you haven't seen, follow Jim on all social media. And his comments about the Philadelphia Eagles football game. I was going to say, unless you're an Eagles fan. Unless you're an Eagles fan, I was giddy when I heard that. I absolutely loved it. Um, so snow is is kind of not really a, a big deal. You guys are in the Northeast. You're used to like big winters and crappy weather. And they really yeah. built this thing up. And now it's not really turning into much. Yeah, we haven't had a good snow in a while. I mean, this is the first actual measurable snow we've had in like 715 days i think they said um and this is like two inches and all of a sudden everybody went stupid and forgot how to drive in the snow crazy what's worse is tomorrow's going to be worse because it's supposed to ice over tonight and not go above like 25 degrees tomorrow so everything's going to be ice tomorrow man it's crazy and by the way jim uh, is also a weatherman in uh, in the Philadelphia area. I mean, man, look at you. You're really good. I, I would listen to you. Um, do you think most people would understand if I use the term um, Willard Scott? Is that too much of an outdated <laughs> reference? Yeah, that is. Oh, Who's Willard well, Scott? It's kind of, actually, that's kind of insulting, too. No, 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 not that you, but I'm just saying you, rem- oh, okay. you have that presence that humor of like Willard Scott was Willard Scott. Yeah, but before he was a weatherman, he was the, the original Ronald McDonald and he was yes, Clarabelle the Clown. Yes, he was. You call him a clown? So we, <laughs> he was a jack of all trades. Oh my god. Before well, you know, I get... that, that's what the weatherman did on the on television stations. They did everything. They did. They did, did things besides the weather. They, you know, hosted the morning, you know, dialing for dollars or kids show or something. 
So weatherman here, um, an industrialized nation here, Butster, his name is, is Willard Scott. He was a guy who, who did the weather on the TV. He was a national weather guy, so not your local guy. And he was he also, the mentor to Al Roker, if that helps you any. Do you know who Al Roker is? Yes, Michael. Okay, you have television up here. I didn't know. I didn't know. You're in a You didn't know we had television? I wasn't quite sure. But you know what? That's where my love for Smuckers came in. Uh, because he would always read off people's ages. And uh, I always wanted to be, I wanted to live long enough so Willard Scott could read off my age on a Smuckers label. But unfortunately, uh, that hasn't happened. So we'll talk more about Willard Scott and my love for uh, canned jellies in a minute. But let's go ahead and let's bring another referee on. Nick Papa G, what's going on, man? What's up, guys? How are you? You're good. Are you, uh, how are you doing in your neck of the woods as far as weather? Uh, same, same thing. It's just me, me and Jim will live, uh, live about like 20, 25 minutes away from each other. Right. So yeah, so it's same, same thing. Nice. So question for you, Willard Scott, is that a, are you too young for Willard Scott or is that? No. No? <laughs> I, I know the name. I just can't, I just can't picture his face or anything like that. So I've heard of the name though. Well, I, I don't know why I'm on such a kick right now. Okay. Listen to this. So my sister, by the way, she does this. Um, she goes to like Nicky Knack places, little places to get tchotchkes, like the Goodwill and mm-hmm. uh, St. Vincent de Paul or whatnot. So anyway, she tells me, she says, hey, guess what? Um, would you mind running over to the thrift store uh, and checking out some of the dolls? And because I guess she resells stuff online. So these American girl dolls, I don't know anything about these things. These are, are resellers. <laughs> Okay. Are you a collector, Jim? No, my daughter was. And it was oh. Quite expensive. Uh, I, I, I was going to say, they're not, a, time. No. they're not a cheap toy. So I literally walk up to where I think this is an American Girl doll, and I audibly say out loud, wow, this doll looks just like the girl who replaced Chrissy on uh, Three's Company. And there's a woman next to me, and she said, why did you just say that? Um, I don't know why. Somehow I have memories that just kind of pop into my mind. But do either one of you guys know who was the girl on the show who replaced Chrissy on Three's Company? Oh, you had Suzanne Summers. I know that. Uh, she was Chrissy. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember what uh, who was after her. Jim? Nope. Pr- Priscilla Barnes. Whoa. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Look at this. I yeah. am impressed. Um, let, let's let's go one more. Uh, who is the cousin of Chrissy? She also played on the show. She was a knockout blonde as well. She plays Priscilla Barnes, and I forget her name. Uh, Susan Lanyer. Susan Lanyer. Anyway. Don't, Never don't heard of her. Don't know how I got on that tangent. <laughs> but uh, Depths of... Steps of prevescent um, perversion. No, oh, yeah. Television. That were television. <laughs> I I would I would concur. Um, I think there's like a, I think there's like a marathon on like TV land of this too. On top of that, <laughs> I would have thought um, Freeland be more watching the Golden Girls to get his. Oh, I do. I already have that. Off. I have every no. Now, come on. This is a family show. Hot. No, this is not a family show. This is not a family show. You're right. I always thought Mrs. Roper was hot, but that's just me. Um, 
<laughs> I want to throw I want to throw this out to both of you. Oh God! Since we last spoke, we're first it's already off the rails already. Nick, what has been going on with you in the world of wrestling since the last time we spoke? What What has happened with you, my friend? Uh, not not really much, actually. I know last last week I wasn't with you guys on here because it was, you know, God God forbid we had like a a random hurricane basically, you know, come through the area last week. You know, it seemed like it, and now we got snow this week, so it's like. Yeah, Tuesdays are kind of just like you know, absolutely ridiculous nowadays on there too. I'm like, I watched the watch the tree fall into my neighbor's fence. They just gotten sold like a week prior. You know, that was that was like that was basically my Tuesday night last week. You know, praying that I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't lose power. I'm like, I know Jim can attest to it. You know, the storm that we had last Tuesday on there was just you know a monstrosity. But you know, nothing really, you know, wrestling wise. I'm like, I just did my first show this past weekend. Uh, the H2O um, on the uh, the uh, Cage of Hell, which you can actually uh, watch the replay on uh, IWTV on demand on there. But you know, it's actually a very a very late month. I'm like, I don't have anything until like the end of like February actually right now. So it's peace and quiet from that the next couple of day, uh, next couple of weeks actually. Nice, uh, Jim. What has been going on with you? I mean, obviously the holidays and then the the inclement weather. Any uh, any shows recently you've been working on? Uh, the, I haven't had anything either. Um, actually, had my first one coming up this weekend in um, in Barnegat, New Jersey, Barnegat High School for ISPW, um, and uh, Crowbar is on on the show. Nice. He's he's their uh, heavyweight champion. Um, but this time, just a heads up for those in the future are looking forward to it in, in the next couple of months. March the I'm going to give the wrong date. Uh, March the 15th, I believe it is, uh, ISPW is going to be bringing in Mick Foley to be the um, guest um, commissioner for the evening. Um, so that, that might be interesting. I haven't seen him in quite a long time. But yeah, I, haven't done, I haven't done anything yet this year. I want to talk to you guys. The topic uh, tonight is unusual matches. Now, I understand that you both are in Go very. Ahead, <laughs> That's my whole damn career. Three of us can leave, and Nick can let us know when to come back. <laughs> when we talk about unusual matches, I mean obviously matches that kind of stand out as unusual matches are you know, like a cage match, which is a little bit different. Um, I know that. Mikey was telling me NYWC. Gosh, somebody's gonna have to help me out with this. They have a very unique match. Um, I know. So the Psycho Circus. Psycho Circus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have never seen a Psycho Circus, but I'm quite interested. Basically, I want to know what your thoughts are on some of these types of matches, and have you engaged in these matches? So let's first start out. Uh, let's go to Jim first. Jim, it's been a staple in wrestling for cage matches, right? Uh, a lot of classic ones happened at the gardens uh, in the WWF days. Cage matches, what were your experiences as a referee during a cage match? Uh, we really didn't, in ECW, we really didn't do that many cage matches. I, I remember, can remember one at the arena, and the problem is Nick can probably testify to this, is putting a putting a cage in the arena you're almost touching you're almost touching the ceiling so it, it really wasn't done that much at least ECW didn't do it that much but in the TWA days 
um, pre-ECW, um, there was one night where it was um, Mick Foley against Eddie Gilbert, which at the time was kind of a historical feud. Um, and it was two out of three matches, not two out of three falls, two out of three matches. Uh, so the first one was pins anywhere in the building. The second one was a stretcher match, and the third one was a cage match. And it got crazy where um, Doug Gilbert um, got into the ring to to help Eddie and coming down out of nowhere to help Cactus uh, Jack was Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, that was interesting. Uh, also, you could... Uh, you, you can find it on YouTube, but it's like a very far away shot. There was no actual real recording of, of this match for Tri-State Wrestling Alliance of the um, the original Sheik against Abdul the Butcher. And the referee uh, for the match was attacked by the Sheik before it even started, got busted open from ear to ear. Um huh. Crawl, crawled out of the ring and um, John Finnegan came in and finished it for him. <laughs> did the actually did the match for him. Um, but that's that's some of my experiences with cage matches. So, so did he hard way you or blade you or you blade yourself or what? Uh, no, he took care of it for me. Oh, that was nice. Huh? Yeah, it was very gentlemanly. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> this is the only industry that I know that somebody can thank another man for making them bleed and uh to wow. their face, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to their face, exactly. Wow. Um let me kind of follow up on that one here, Jim. Cage matches, you know, I used to watch the UWF a lot, uh Herb Abrams, VHS tapes. That's what I used to get for Christmas. And um not a bad announcer, by the way. Really, I mean, as far as like either a color or play-by-play guy, he just had that obnoxious, loud, hyper, uh, is probably induced by cocaine, uh, type of personality. Um, But the cage matches, do you know any idea where they used to hold them? Because when you would watch some of those UWFs, they would look like they were in ballrooms. Yeah, there there was a ballroom. The the first handful of tapings they ever did was a ballroom in New York City, and I I can't tell you where it was. Um, And it it was it's none of the ballrooms that you think of. There, like the the Melrose Ballroom, or or you know the ones that the guys use now, the promotions use nowadays. This was this was in a hotel. Okay, it was a ballroom in a hotel, Um, and I I just don't remember where. I'm sure somebody out there knows. Um, that can remember, but yeah, it was the first couple of handful of tapings were a ballroom, and then when they went to doing some in California, um, it was a club. And damn it, I wish I could remember the name of it. I, I think it was in Redondo. Um, I just remember seeing Blue Oyster Cult there once, uh, when I lived out there. Um, but I can't remember the name of the club, but I, they used the club, but I don't think they did any cage matches during that one. I, I think the only time they really did the cage matches were the first handful of tapings that were in that, that ballroom. Yeah. Um, I remember Paul Orndorff was in one of them and I want to say, oh my gosh, um, 
Cowboy Bob Orton, I want to say. I, I Probably, have, yeah. I want to have a really good episode when we talk about UWF because there's a lot of ways, and, and follow me with this and tell me if I'm kind of on, this, on the correct logic here. UWF seems a lot like AEW in some ways. Uh, a very uh, unique owner who is very eccentric. Um, a company that really has a lot of stars who were from another larger establishment and now have kind of started and had a lot of buzz, a lot of fanfare, but then it really kind of died down. Is there, is there some fairness in making comparisons, you think, or do you think they're two different worlds? I, I see the comparison, but I think they were two different worlds because Abrams had a limited um, locker room, kept it to the same uh, I'll say 20 guys as to p- having 150 people under contract. Um, and you would, you would see the same guys on TV more often than, you know, some people that are completely forgotten about that. Oh, well, you're on my, you're on the roster. Yeah, that's um, a good point. You know, and, and, and not, not to, uh, put anyone down who's on the AEW roster, but uh, any of the, the people that worked for Abrams were all known names um, from somewhere in, in because the, they were, a lot of them were still out of the territorial areas. I mean, you know, Doc Williams, well, I guess he was still WCW for a little bit, but, you know, Williams and Gordy, they were there. And not everybody knew who Gordy was. Yeah. Um, at the time, and and you had, and he brought in um, preset feuds, basically. You know, like you you mentioned, Orndorff and Orton, um, yep. Gordy and Williams. Um, he you know he brought in guys from from world class in Texas that that may have had a feud, um, and he used a couple of newer names that not everybody knew at the time, but made stars helped make stars out of them because you had. It, it was uh, the first real names I worked for when Goodhart brought him in for Tri-State. You had Cactus Jack against David San Martino. Yeah. And, and plus you had Bruno as an announcer. So I, I think there, there, there are some similarities, but I think there are more differences. Let's go to Nick Papa G. Uh, Nick, talking about cage matches and whatnot, you got any unique cage match memories or recollections of... Oh, God, I'm working a cage match tonight. Not really sure what's going to happen. And and the other thing is, when these cages get put up in the independent circuit, it's a little bit different than it is when you see on TV. Um, they got to move pretty quick. Do you feel like sometimes the cages are pretty sturdy, or do you feel like sometimes these cage matches, at any point in time, the walls could just fall down? Uh, it depends on some of the, some of the cages. I know, like when we did a, a cage of death for a CGW back in the day, and like it was an all, it was actually a wrought, it was a wrought iron um, cage. So the thing was like each section. And it was you know it was four sections on there. Uh, each section had to be at least almost about eight guys would have to bring it to the ring because it was that heavy wow. on there. That that thing was just re- just ridiculous on there. And depending on what you know what kind of 
you know, structures they're putting it, you know, if they're putting a scaffold attached to it, uh, or they are they having it like, you know, tear tottering like that. You know, sometimes they would do it that way and take the cage portion out and put like all barbed wire around it. You know, instead they've done that before. Um, I even know, I think uh, Cage of Death 10 took about an hour and a half to build because they wanted to do, <laughs> they wanted to do uh, almost like a, a homage of all the all the cages they did prior to it. Um, and they actually did an all wooden cage owner, I guess, like, you know, even back to the old, uh, um, back in the old uh, 80s on there. So it, it wasn't, wasn't a steel section. It was all wood. And it actually had wood platforms. It had a wooden scaffold up at the top and stuff like that. I'm like, I'm over there in the in the uh, the, the crow's nest in the uh, or the eagle's nest over in the uh, ECW arena back in the day. I'm falling asleep because it's now 12:30 and the match hasn't even begun yet. <laughs> oh wow! I'm like, I'm like, yeah, this is you know, this is Saturday night. I'm like, I, I know Jim knows the stories of the old cage of deaths and how long they took to build, you know, and stuff like that. It's just it's. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous sometimes, you know, wow. on there. I was going to bring up, I was going to bring up the wooden cages because yeah. uh, if you look at old Memphis tapes and, yeah. and some of some of the old Bill Watts stuff, the cages were were wooden framed and they had chicken wire. Yep, yep. What did they use? Four by four posts or something? No, I think they used two by four to frame it. Oh Lord! Oh yeah. wow! <laughs> Oh, that was a different show, Mike. I know we did that in uh, we did that in H two O actually. Uh, the very first barbed wire cage match was actually all wood on there. He actually would have all all two by fours all around it. And the funny thing, all it was, it was just all um, harnesses you would use like on a a truck a truck harness. Mm-hmm. You know how they uh, how they crank everything down. Literally, literally, all it was. That's how it would be uh, held in place. That's basically almost like what ninety percent of the indies. You know, you know that's literally how they're uh, they're cranking the uh, cranking the uh, cages together. Right. I've never seen a cage match. You you you've never seen a cage in match in person. Oh, like, don't okay. look at me like that. <laughs> well, I mean, for a second there, I was thinking, what the hell is going on here? Um, I, I'm I'm googling as we speak a a wooden cage pro wrestling, and I don't know if they're not just showing a whole lot, but I'm I'm looking through here. Uh, I definitely want to see what one of those looks like. Um, I just envision building one. There, there was the the classic match um, in uh, in um, mid south. Maybe it was UWF at the time. <clears throat> you know the the Bill Watts UWF of uh, the Fantastics against the Sheepherders. Oh no, I'm sorry. It was the Fantastics and Terry Taylor against the Sheepherders, and I want to say it was Jack Victory. I don't think it was Johnny Ace. Um, where it was a, a cage, barbed wire cage match, and it was pretty brutal for the for the time. Hey guys, here's what we're gonna do tonight. Oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, Holy tr- cow! With, with, trust me, with the sheepherders there, I don't think Johnny A spoke up. I was gonna say, oh, with, I've heard stories that up, <laughs> that they could definitely turn it up a notch when they didn't want to be uh, the comedic type of stars. Um, Jim, let me ask you this. What was, what would you say, how talented is that to be able to go from a, a, a loving kids version of a team, which they're licking each other and, and whatnot. And then all of a sudden 
the sheep herders, which were basically they bled as much as John Moxley and Ric Flair on steroids. So the sheep herders, how would you compare them for people who aren't familiar with them to somebody who's modern day, who's they may be more familiar with? I, I don't think there you can compare them to anyone. Uh, maybe Onita. <laughs> okay. Except, they, except for you know oh. the the gimmick to the match, um, but they were they were brutal. I mean they I mean to compare them as the, the sheep herders to the to the bushwhackers, it was like you know I'm going to, into retirement basically. I mean they it was it was a a walk in the park for them compared to what they used to do, and they did that for a long time. You're talking early '70s, Memphis, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico. uh, Did they do some Asian territories? Don Owens up in uh, Oregon. Yeah, yeah, they were everywhere. They went everywhere, and they made money wherever they went. Look at the stuff that we. It's probably there's probably a lot of it um, that you can get on YouTube through the um, the Bill Watts era when they worked for him. Watts must have loved them because I'm sure he made a ton. They made a ton of money for him. So Nick, let me ask you. So cage matches, whatnot. um, Are you a fan of these types of matches? Because in in so many ways you, you are confined to being in there where I feel like in some situations, the light tubes and the planes of glass and all that kind of stuff, you can kind of skirt out of the way at times cage matches you're kind of in there with them um your thought i mean do you mind refereeing them or or there's something if they said hey you know we got a cage match on tonight's show you can give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down what are you saying i don't i don't mind doing the cage matches as long as they're not like a multi-man um cage match and i just i actually just did one this past saturday actually i was the main event on there uh and it was actually six guys um in there and besides myself, uh, and one of the sides was actually rigged uh, with explosives um, on there. So, which I already knew where the explosives were on there. So, my like, I basically just stayed stayed in my little corner and just prayed to God. I'm like, all right, I'm like, I, I know this thing's wired, and you know, hopefully this doesn't go off. God forbid. But it was actually it's actually controlled by a button backstage. So I'm like, thank God for that. But. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind doing like you know the exact cage matches like the, these multi-man ones that people are doing. You know, they're doing like a triple threat one, or they're doing fatal four-way. I'm like, that's where, that's where the stuff gets out of hand because, you know, there's nowhere for us to go. I'm like, you know, like you said, you're confined. You know, and God forbid if you have any other type of gimmicks in there. I'm like, I know I've done the old, uh, uh, the old House of Horrors cage match where they're actually. Uh, intertwining barbed wire at the top of the cage like make it into like an X and they hang light tubes from it on there. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, you got nowhere to go, you know, in that aspect. That's where you're just hiding in a corner and, you know, praying it's only a one-fall finish. <laughs> you know, especially with the uh, the elimination type ones that we have, you know, nowadays. And like, you know, like like this past Saturday, we did we had a it was like pinfall submission or, you know, crash and burn to the floor, you know, because then we had gimmicks on the outside too, on top of that, you know, you know, so there's three guys that got eliminated that way. Thank God. So I didn't have to worry about that. So. 
how, how does it go when you're getting ready to go to these events, Nick? So you, you just speak to the significant other. Well, tonight we have a a, a flaming asshole, panes of glass, bamboo spike death match. I might die, or I might see it too. Loser I, gets her taint tattooed. And it's at the door, and you walk out and hope for the best. Like I, I usually just like shake my head half the time when I when I find out like what we're doing and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, I'm like, it's just, let's just stay away from that, please. You know, I, I've, I've uh, kiboshed a couple spots, you know, every now and then with like, you know, oh, we're going to do this. I'm like, yeah, you're not doing that. That's completely unsafe. You know, it's, it's some of the stuff gets out of hand because I'm like, I, I understand, you know, some of the guys and girls like to be creative. I'm like, I have absolutely no issue with that whatsoever. You know, but other, other than that, I'm like, safety always comes first in the ring. I'm like, that's what our job is. You know, God forbid that. You know, from making sure nothing actually happens to them or anything like that. So, but it, it's like some of the some of the spots. I'm like, hey, we're going to go through this, you know, two layers of glass with tubes in the middle and stuff like that. I'm like, oh god. <laughs> Jim, let me throw this one out to you. You know, being a promoter and, and doing sorry, all these Jim. Things. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm picking on Jim again here. So, being a promoter and doing these things, does it really bring in more people? I mean, honestly, for the for the risk that you are putting, you know, the talent they're they're choosing, obviously, or the promoters saying, "Hey, this is what I want you to do." Um, is the is there a payoff? Meaning, is it like, oh my god, you're going to see, you know, flaming penguins jumping on people and and you know, uh, women with with beards and and you know, jumping around with glass bikinis or whatever it may be. Is it really something that's going to draw more people the, the higher you go with the stakes? Or is it just a shock and all type of thing? Actually, Nick would be the one to, to answer that question because he's in the middle of them. Um, just my personal belief, I don't think it does. I don't think it brings any more than, you know, the on, on the indie scene. And this isn't an insult. It used to be. On the indie scene, you're, you're 200 people that, that come every, you know, every time anyway. Right. Um, as on the, you know, for, as the promoter, um, how much money are you putting into all the extra stuff you need? Does that make and will will an extra X amount of butts in the seats make the difference? Yeah. Um, I, and I, I don't know if I've said it here before or not, but when I had a building and rent it to people to other companies. Um, I would not allow them to use glass or or light tubes because we the ring was up permanently. Right. We used it for training. We used it for our events, but we also used it for kids' birthday parties. Yeah. Um, you know, and and the the people who came in and rented cleaned the place up beautifully. I, I made sure that they were the ones who cleaned it. Um, but God forbid you miss one piece of glass and. Oops. And some kid is in, you know, the next Saturday for a birthday party and he, he trips and gets it in the eye or, you know, something, God forbid something happens to him, then I'm the one liable to for it. So that's why I never allowed it. And I, there, were, there were promoters that, that hated me <laughs> because I wouldn't let them do it in my building. But I'm like, let me go somewhere else and try it. You know, and there, and there were no other places. Yeah, and no, that brings up a really, really good point. I mean, so, Nick, if it's not bringing in more money, um, is it just a situation of everyone so used to seeing this, it becomes 
almost we have to do this or our loyal fan base will kind of go somewhere else to get more their bloodlust or, or what's really the reasoning for continuing to do these types of things all the time? Well, Jim, Jim can attest to it, like how the Indies are around, you know, around us and stuff like that. It, it's almost a shock at all. I'm like, okay, this, this one company did this. Well, how can we beat that the next time? You know, it, it's like, it's basically a, you know, a stepladder of violence to right. a certain extent. That's literally what it's come to. <clears throat> like when you talk about, you know, you know, I've been doing deathmatch wrestling for like 16 years now. So I don't, I don't, I don't mind it. I'm like, it's, I'm desensitized to, you know, a lot of it. And so are the fans. Right. The fans are completely desensitized, you know, to to a lot of this. You know, it's like, oh, well, a light tube shot to the head. Oh, okay. So what? And it's just like a chair shot to the head. Right. It, it, you know, it's, you know, now obviously you don't see that nowadays anyway, but, you know, still, it, it's it, it, it's basically shocking all nowadays. That's all, that's all it's going to be. I'm like, you know, one company's doing one thing. I'm like, all right, we got to beat this for next month, you know, so we can actually get the fans back in. You know, there's times I'm like, we, you know, I work for different companies. We won't do death matches for like maybe five, six months. And then we look at the, uh, look at the attendance. I'm like, oh, the attendance is low. Or, you know, let's go do a random death match. Okay. Well, there goes the attendance because you got a big name death match guy coming in or something like that. In you, you know, and it, and I, there you go. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, it, it sucks. It comes to that nowadays, but. You know, that's just that's basically indie wrestling now. You know, also, you have to look at your crowd. Look look at who's coming to your shows. Um, is it all guys? Then that's your deathmatch crowd. Right. If if you have someone who brings a guy who brings his family, brings his wife, brings his children, um, he's not coming back if, if you know, something goes awry. Um, if something goes awry and it's, you know, the sausage factory crowd, um, they're they're going to come back. Oh, we're going to see that again. <laughs> oh, Jim, <laughs> it's been so long since I've heard sausage factory. I love it. I mean, you, you can even look at look at um, some of the ECW days. Uh, and there were there weren't really that many women in our in the crowd for an ECW show. I mean, you probably had more women on the roster than you did uh, that whoever came in the. Uh... I got a question about a woman in ECW. I'm going to ask you in a little bit, Jim, when it comes to crazy stuff. But Butster, I mean, hearing these things, um, what do you think? I mean, we're in an age now where, you know, chair shots are really taboo. You know, they're looked upon as, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they did that. That's so wrong. Do you think, do you believe in the term indie-rific? I've heard that so many times from some people. Is there... Is there a difference when you say you see somebody on uh, a major promotion and they just don't seem to fit in the mold with that? Have you noticed some of that? What happens for sure? Because generally on the indies, you have a little more free reign. Right. You, you can pull off shit that you don't have to worry about censors right. or, or sponsorship or, or you know, uh, somebody seen it Monday night on Raw and, and and now somebody's going to protest it because they got their panties in a bunch over or something like that. Uh, on an indie show, if you're just a local guy here in Kingston and you do something that's just ridiculous, well, 250 or 300 people seen it. Some local people talk about it. 
people that are maybe dialed into the Ontario indie wrestling will talk about it a bit, but you don't have to worry about a ton of negative backlash within reason, of course. Sure. But no, it's definitely because in, in some indie stuff, it's just it's so much more freedom. Right. Like, you know, you take a chair shot. I'm not going to see that Monday night. Like just a straight up unprotected chair shot to the head. Now, if that were to happen, you know, at the next uh, Chinlock Wrestling here, oh, well, that was kind of cool. He ate that chair shot. You don't see that anymore. Right. Well, it's true. That's, that's what right. it is. It's not a yeah. big deal. Uh, to me, I I think it would be fantastic. I wouldn't be upset about it. If Linda was there with me, she'd probably wonder what the hell's wrong with me and just shake her head and play on her phone most likely. That's what she would do, but she wouldn't be upset about it either. But it's just you you have much less chance of negative backlash on an indie event than what you do on a live show or even not live if it's recorded on TV. It's just there's less chance of something negative happening. So, so you're saying that there's a chance that a pizza cutter on a nationally televised show when your sponsor's Domino's and the commercial follows probably either that was the most genius thing ever or that was just, oh, crap, I can't believe that happened. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go to uh, – That was to- gold. That's what that was. That was pure gold. <laughs> if, if somebody ran that promo – themselves on purpose i hope they got a ridiculous bonus we're talking the envelope with cash no taxes <laughs> uncle sam doesn't notice here's some money that's gold if he would have had a slice on top of the stage before he walked back behind the curtain i thought that would have been yeah. that would have been fantastic i'm gonna ask you something jim did you see many uh pizza cutters back in your you guys saw a lot of stuff you saw nintendo's Ataris get hit, frying pans get hit, but pizza cutters. Have you seen that? I don't, think, I don't think so. Maybe maybe Jack used one. Um, I know we used the cheese graters. Cheese graters. Oh, Bubba, Bubba loved cheese graters. <laughs> when he used a cheese grater, he didn't legit grade somebody's head with it, though, did he? Not that I noticed, unless it was somebody he didn't like. But right. <laughs> No, I don't think so. Nick, I can imagine a cheese grater to the forehead. Oh, at, at, towards, the, towards the end of ECW, I remember Tommy Dreamer saying to me, there's nothing left for me to do except take a bullet. Uh, you know, and it's it's getting to that point. Not not just for one guy, but for everybody on the indies. You can only push it so far to where, like I said, somebody takes a bullet or dies or Ends up well, tripled or, or, or they're, something. They're close to it with, with doing some high flying stuff where guys are almost breaking their necks, and that's on yeah. TV. Yeah, yeah. Austin Theory and um, Carmelo Hayes. Well, I mean, he, we, a couple nights that was really rough. But then also, when you think about, like, t- take this for example, and this has nothing to do with uh, gimmicks or anything like that. But Darby Allen, for example, that man will not walk. In a matter of years, can we all yeah. get on board with the fact that mm-hmm. I, I get it? He loves what he does, but some of the stuff I've seen that he does um, will make me turn my head. And, and it's 2024, 
And I thought that, you know, some people had gotten past that, but how do you explain why somebody is, is willing to put their, their body through that? Is it just because the love of the game? Is it for giving it to the fans? Because I cannot think about how someone would want to put their health and their life uh, on the line, not even with another person in a match, they, them doing these stunts on their own. Uh, Nick, how many of these crazy stunts do you see people do that you just say, please don't do that? Uh, it, it, it's the only way. It's Sometimes I look at it like this. It, it's the only way for them to get over the crowd. It, you know, I'm like, you know, you brought up you brought up Darby Allen. I'm like, I never worked with the kid or anything like that. But, you know, watch his pre-AEW stuff when he was uh, uh, in Evolve, you know, and stuff like that. He was He was just like a little, you know, little rubber ball bouncing all over the place, bouncing off of brick walls and stuff like that. It was just some of the stuff was just absolutely like ridiculous that he would do on there. But, you know, na- nowadays too, on top of them, like there's guys, you know, that, you know, rec- you know, work regular matches can't get over. And then they turn to death matches instead. It's like, Oh, maybe I can get over that way because you see how popular death matches are. You know, there's a there's a lot of guys that are doing that nowadays. It's insane. Jim, do you agree that uh, there's a lot of crossover into that world of the visual when they themselves might not be as technically astute as a wrestler, and they have to somehow maybe compensate for that to bring up their name value or their their recognition and whatnot? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look at, at even regular television matches nowadays compared to regular television matches even let's say 10 years ago how many start with a lockup huh? i don't see many right exactly you know yeah, true. The, the art of wrestling is gone it, it's now the, the the agony of defeat or you know the, it's the, the crash and burn um i know that dusty Rhodes was uh believed to be very instrumental and he, and he probably was with a lot of different types of matches bunkhouse uh, was one that he was a big one in wcw obviously war games was another one when it comes to not necessarily war games but when they have cells on top of cells uh wcw did this uh before they went out of business with david arquette uh, does any of you guys remember that i forget what they called it like a tower of Doom or the a, Tower of Doom. They they did it at one of the Nick. You might you might remember it better than me. At one of the Great American Bashes, um, uh, 80, 86, 87, 88, something like that, where uh, it was Kevin Sullivan and his crew um, against the Garvins and the Road Warriors. And you had to start at the top of the cage and work your way down and get out. Um, and it was all over. Uh, the, the story angle was um, Kevin was obsessed with um, Precious, with Jimmy Garvin. That face? And so they that's what they used. And the last two people in the cage, Kevin Sullivan was the last guy in the cage, and he managed to, to get a hold of, of her. And Jimmy Garvin had to um, work his way back into the cage to save her. I, I forget if he came from the top all the way down to save her, but I, you know, that was in the in the eighties, and that was Kevin Sullivan's idea. I'm looking at the pictures right now, you guys, and I am wow. 
I know which one you're referring to from the old Ready to Rumble movie back in the nine, the late nineties. Yes, I was talking about that one. Yes. Yeah, that triple, that little triple, uh, triple decker cage they used to do. Yeah, I remember that. Was it that? I know TNA did. Well, no, TNA did like the reverse ladder match, the King of the Mountain match that Jar- that uh, Jeff Jarrett did, where you actually had a. I think you actually had to hang the belt all the way up to the top, or something like that. I'm like, it's kind of backwards, but hey, whatever. That was TNA back in the day. So, wow. So, you I mean you got the Towers of Doom matches? Which, if you haven't heard of the Tower of Doom and you haven't seen it, and you have Peacock. Definitely go back to Peacock or WWE Network if you're in a foreign country, and you can watch some of these matches and just see how literally insane some of these things are. Um, I'm just oh whoa, I'm just saying you don't have Peacock. You probably have the network, right? Which was 15 years ago. And, you know, places like Ubekistan, uh, I don't know, Uruguay, uh, Canada, those places. Yeah, have- yeah, yeah. Hey, guess what? I'd rather have the network oh, yeah. than, than what Peacock has set up for WWE because there's oh, a lot yeah. of stuff that was on there that yeah. isn't on there now. There, yep, there, was, gone. there was a 1988 Great American Bash from Greensboro, and it was the, the show that Dusty showcased to um, Turner Broadcasting. And they had a war game. They had all kind. Of, they had every kind of match you could think of. They, I think that might be may have been the uh, a lumberjack match with the the um, Midnight Express and Jim Cornette. So it was a three on two against. I want to say it was the Fantastics. I don't think it was the Rock and Roll Express. It, it may have been, but the the, <laughs> the lumberjacks around the ring all had tennis rackets. Oh God. <laughs> it, it, hold on, Jim. Is this the one where Jim blew out both of his knees? No, no, that, that was, was the Skywalker. Yeah, that was the night of the Skywalker. Night of the Skywalker. And I think Big Bubba Rogers match. tried to catch him or, or something, but supposed Jim. To. Yeah, he was supposed to and missed yeah, him. He only missed him by about 15 feet, but hey, he tried. <laughs> wow. Somebody's <laughs> check was late. That's what happened there. I mean, like, um, this, this particular show had a war game on it, it had that match. Um, may have had a chain match, or, you know, a, a dog collar match or a chain match, whatever it was. If if Ivan Koloff was there and they were pushing, you know, using him, and I'm sure it was some sort of chain match, Russian chain match. What was that called, Jim? It was it was the Great American Bash from 1988 in Greensboro, North Carolina, and it's great. I don't think there's any any play by play. I think it's just the, like the raw footage. I actually well, like. Look, I I can get that on the WWE Network, friend. You can't. You, well, because you have Peacock and it right. sucks. Or at least and you, you used won't to. I don't, know if, you, I don't know if you still can. But when when I lost the WWE Network, that that was one thing that I I hated that I lost. I, I, I got it right here. I know this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, or maybe it does in a way. Jim, I, and you don't have to tell me. You can just say yes or no. With with being in all of that footage, do you get any type of residuals from the no. network? You get nothing? That was quick. No. Never but got, do you at least get Peacock anything. for free? Uh, no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have that cable system. Wow. That offers all of that free. stuff. Um, no, any of the... The footage, um, any of the ECW DVDs, 
the video games, any of that stuff. Nothing. Wow. I drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah, you you mean wow. Hey, hey, well, I tell you what, Paul Lee was definitely a man who could get people to follow him. He could get people to follow him. So did David Koresh. He's gonna be coming on there. Um let me ask you something. We talked a little bit about scaffold matches and, and kind of as we kind of wrap up our, our, our segment tonight. Um, scaffold matches are a little weird, in my opinion. Uh, for fans who haven't seen the scaffold match, again, go back and watch one. Um, Nick, I don't really get the concept. Like, I've seen them. I've watched them. And to watch these guys with, you know, just try to like get down on all fours because I believe was the original concept that you had to capture the flag on someone else's podium, or was that just one particular match? No, that was that was one particular match. That was when WCW was owned by TBS, and they said, "Oh, we can't have somebody pushing each other off of this." scaffold we have to capture each other's flag okay because um, the the original concept was you two guys or four guys whatever it was up on top of a scaffold and you push you you push the other one off of the scaffold so that he falls into the ring and uh, snaps both legs right uh, there ecw did too um, we did the one Tommy Dreamer against um, Brian Lee, yep. which was which was good, which was very good. But I, if if you want to find it, and I, I'm not sure exactly what event it was on. It was one of our, you know, right, ninety four, ninety four, something like that, yeah, somewhere around there, ninety four, ninety five. Tape selling event shows uh, back in the day. It was J T. Smith against. Um, the Dark Patriot, who was Doug Gilbert, and Doug threw him off off the scaffold. If you, if you watch the NWA ones, usually they're hanging from underneath before they fall into the ring. JT went head first past the ring onto the floor. Oh my God! Um, find that one. Yes, yeah, that both blew his knees out. I think off of that. Something somewhere around there, right? I I know we got hurt for like a long time. Yeah, I I, I could tell you, and, and J, JT's uh, if somebody out there is watching this and knows how to get all of JT Smith, please let us know. I want to get all of JT. Yeah, absolutely. I talked to him forever. He was the greatest guy in the world. So it it just sounds like again, it's just a big stunt show in a way. Well, basically. Um, I don't. I, again, I'm. I'm going to come back to this. I want to ask this to both you guys because, you know, everyone says, and I feel like it's it's a knock. Well, it all started with ECW, and I disagree. I think ECW did a lot of amazing stuff, but ECW, again, we talked about this, was controlled chaos. It was meant to look like that. Um, I don't remember anything ever to the extent of the things that are happening today, happening back in ECW with razor wire and barbed wire and, and glass and all of this kind of stuff. Um, do you think this will ever find its way out of the industry? Like people will get tired of, or do you think this is, this is here to stay these ultra violent gimmick matches? Uh, we'll go to Nick on that one. 
Oh no, I think they're they're here to stay. I'm like, you know, it's it was basically, you know, I think what was it? A uh, FMW yeah. um, back in the day started. Uh, even before that, I'm like, you used the original King of Deathmatch tournament, the uh, the uh, IWA Japan um, stuff. That was that's kind of the precursor to to like literally everything. And I know then, you know, you can find some stuff from Puerto Rico from IWA Puerto Rico with uh, Victor Keone's. Would you know he was doing stuff down there with the uh, you know like the Headhunters and you know Mike Awesome was over there every now and then. I'm like. You know, and then you turned into CCW. You know, you know that was after, after uh, ECW, um, you know, folded. You know, you have Big Japan Wrestling. You know, over there. You know, they do a lot of their deathmatch stuff. It's, it's there's so many different promotions. You know, that are just like strictly deathmatches and stuff like that nowadays. It's never going to go away. It's just going to escalate. Basically, I'm like, you know, it, it it's scary. I'm like, if you actually watch a lot of the American deathmatches. They're a lot more tame compared to what Japan does. Japan's on a whole other level of like the, their violence, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. The you guys back in the day, Jim, had a relationship with FMW. Am I correct in that? Yes, some somewhat. Did you ever get a chance to go over or to Japan or to to see any of the the cross promotional stuff that they did? Because again. Nick was mentioning, you know, Mike Awesome was over there. I know Cactus went over there multiple times before. Um, what was your thoughts when you found out ECW did have a working relationship with them? Um, I thought it was good for us because at the time, well, I think we were beyond the tape trading stage. I think we were we were looking at DVDs by then, but um, you know, I, the, the tape trading was what really helped ECW grow and and that's what kind of made a name for us in, in Japan. And that, that's what the, the call, where the call was for, for bringing ECW to Japan. Um, I guess because we were extreme and, you know, whether it was, you know, um, whoever was running New Japan or All Japan at the time, they didn't have that, that you know, premise of what we were doing. So that's where FM a company like FMW or a company like War uh, would have fit in at, at the time. Um, you know, War. I think War may have shut down by then, or was was close to shutting down um, because Jericho had been over there and Lance Storm. I think Lance Storm was there too. So they they had more of a more kind of like an ECW feel where there was a more of a mixture of yep. various styles. Where FMW towards the end became more of like a CZW where it was all hardcore and, and death matches and things like that. Um, you know, I always, I'll, I'll, people say ECW, you guys, you know, did fire and, and tables and chairs and all that stuff. And I said, yeah, we also had Lucha wrestlers. We also had Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero. So, you know, we, I don't think that ECW could be labeled as this. I agree. Thing. And a lot of guys, you think about it, I mean, had Paul not given them a chance, they would not have been seen um, and, and gotten the opportunity to become the big name that they ultimately became. And some of the matches were were iconic. I guess to put a bow tie on this, um, as far as crazy matches go, final question for both of you guys, 
what was the craziest experience as far as a match that was presented to you as far as the stipulations or anything like that? I know, Nick, you had mentioned that there was explosives that were rigged up at some point in time. What is the craziest thing that you could honestly say? I don't think I'll ever see that again. Has made made an appearance here. Uh, I'm going to throw you a a curveball actually with this one. Uh, It's actually not a stipulation on there as my cat walks across the video again um, on there. Uh, It was actually back in my days in Jakarta. Uh, This is 2011. I'm going to guess maybe 2010 um, on there. Um, Bryce Remsberg was a senior ref of uh, Takara. He wasn't there at this show. He actually had a family gathering. So that actually put me in charge on there. Sorry. On there. <laughs> it's just very rambunctious him for waiting for bed on there. Um, a wrestling fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> no, it was actually I did a, uh, a world of sport match. It was actually between uh, Johnny Kidd versus uh, Johnny Saint. So I'm going to throw you a complete curveball on that. I'm like, you would think death matches were the were, were the be all end all for me. I'm like, no, I actually do actually know how to referee other matches too, on top <laughs> of that, it, it, you know, on there. But it was, it, and I had to actually literally learn the whole rules of world of sport within two hours because at the time I was not really familiar with them. You know, I didn't I didn't watch British wrestling or anything like that where it's you know basically where it's originated from or anything right. like that. So you know, I actually you know, I had to almost basically at the time Google everything. I'm like, oh okay, here's where we got this. I'm like, and I'd go over the match with the two of them, and you know, those guys are legends within themselves, you know, on there too, on top of that. So if you're following that type of wrestling, you know, that was but that's probably the most unique match I ever had to do. Besides, you know, obviously, all the crazy death matches and stuff like that. Jim, uh, you've seen a lot. You've been there um, as well throughout the incarnation of all of this. What's the craziest match that literally was, whoa, that was the craziest, uh, whether it was weapons used or gimmicks used or just chaos or what was it that you would say, man, this tops my list? Hmm. Um, I would probably say the first barbed wire match I did where, you know, the, the ropes were down and, and barbed wire was up instead. Um, and it was, um, I think that, I think it was in Florida, um, but it was, we did it a couple of different places, but it was um, Raven against Sandman. Um, I know we did it in Fort Lauderdale and I can't remember if that was the first time we did it or not. Um, but yeah, that was pretty intense because you're always afraid of the, the barbed wire snapping and springing right in your face when, when somebody goes through it. If, it, if it's that tight. Wow. Jesus. Crazy. You guys have lived a thousand lives uh, doing this profession. Um, so many things that we're going to be talking about as the weeks go by. Guys, if you're enjoying this, please make sure you go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you can find it anywhere fine podcasts are made available. Also, we uh, have our videos out on YouTube as well. So go ahead and it doesn't cost you anything. Hit that like and subscribe button and share it with uh, your family and your friends as well. Get the word out on Front Row Referee. In fact, you guys take a look at this. I ordered it. It finally came. 
It finally came. That's right. I'll never be in a pro wrestling ring, but I can live vicariously through other people. I got my own referee shirt. It actually came with a whistle, too. But Oh, God. Oh, Gimmick man. infringement. Gimmick infringement. Yeah, I know. Going to have to send this off to get signed by you guys, and then I'll go ahead and frame it and hang it in the house. Oh, man. So I'm, I'm officially, I got my wardrobe ready to go for this. Before we go, uh, give the shout-outs, what's going to be happening, what's new, anything like that, your uh, social media handles, all that kind of stuff. We're going to start off with Nick. What's going on with – what's going up with you? I'm actually done uh, done shows for this whole month, actually, for the whole month of January. There's not really much going on over here in the Northeast and stuff like that because usual weather, weather and holidays and stuff like that. A lot of the companies usually will take a, will take a month off. On there, I don't think I'm back in the ring until like, oh, where am I at here? Uh, like the 17th of February is actually actually the next eight slow show, so I, I got I got a little bit of uh, time to actually uh, recover and stuff like that. I can actually uh, relax for once, you know, on there too. So it doesn't doesn't happen often, but you know, especially coming up, you know, you know, March and April when you got you know you got you, you know all the all the mania stuff coming around. Coming around the corner is not that far away, as scary as it sounds. So, you know, I got all that stuff, you know, hopping around. I'm like, I'm still getting signed up for a lot of different shows, you know, that, that whole week, you know, and stuff like that. So, well, I'm glad you brought that up because we are uh, vastly approaching WrestleMania season after the Rumble ends. So, give out your details if people would like to reach out to you for WrestleMania week. Uh, how can they get a hold of you? All that kind of stuff. Give them the details. Uh, if you got the video, you can actually see my uh, my Twitter handle. It's uh, Ref Nick Papa G on there. You can also DM me there. You can use uh, use Messenger on there for uh, Facebook. On there, those are the two best um, contacts that you can get me from. They're they're on twenty four seven. So you know, I'm I'm only we you know me and Jim are actually only about twenty five minutes away from uh, Philly, so we're not that far away. Well, the other thing I was thinking of is, man, you guys might be able to do like a uh, a sports bar show. You know what I mean? Set up the laptop. You guys both, uh, you know, I, I see Meanie at, uh, uh, is it called McClusters? I think so. I think that's what yeah. it is. Yeah. That's yeah. Bar, so yeah. you might have to do a show where you guys are on the same little block. I think that would be, uh, that would be kind of cool. Um, Jim, uh, WrestleMania, we've been talking about this. WrestleMania week is coming up as well with you. Um, we have been getting the word out. I've been talking to some people as well. What is all your details if promoters in promotions would like to reach out to you uh, to do shows, maybe autograph signings, meet and greets, any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, the, the best way is through Twitter or X, wherever you want to call it now. Um, at Jim Molino, all one word. Um, and also, if you, if you go there, it has my uh, email address on there and you can you can email me if you're serious enough to to want to use me for something bring me in for something um and i'm also on facebook at jamalino also um and if you want to get a uh, parody referee parody t-shirt check it out at um t public and uh just punch in extreme referee and one of the shirts will pop up and you can check them all out there's seven or eight shirts up there now nice uh, so got some exciting news here. So we've been reaching out to some uh, some good friends. We had some GCW representation on the show as well. Um, we might have some other people joining us as well to share some stories. Uh, potentially uh, Mr. Keener uh, would be joining us. I think that would be exciting. 
Uh, Mr. Finnegan as well, I think would be exciting as well. So, so many referees, so many stories. When all these guys get together, it is nothing but fun to hear their perspective and what happens. And if, if you're, if you are a vendor looking for people for WrestleMania weekend, John and I are looking to do something together. John Finnegan, myself, we're the only two guys who lasted the entire run of ECW. Um, so we're looking to do something together uh, as a signing. Cause uh, I think we're kind of both wanting our, our days down. We're, we're almost, almost at the retirement stage. Well, I tell you what, if you want to have a throwback ECW match, uh, you got the two official guys that were there from day one. Um, you want to get barbed wire involved, uh, Jim, uh, you want to do a ladder match, go ahead and get John Finnegan. If you want to go ahead and get crazy as well, go ahead and get a hold of Nick because I tell you what, these guys are the experts when it comes to all hell breaking loose. Don't forget to bring the frying pan. All right, that is going to do it for Front Row Referee this week. Gentlemen, it has been so much fun. We'll catch up with you guys next week. All right, guys, take care. Be safe right. out there. Later, boys. Wow, another interesting week of Front Row Referee with uh, Nick Papa G and Jim Molino. Um, again, I, I kind of teased in that segment uh, Mike Keener. Uh, former ECW referee as well is uh, potentially going to make an appearance. Would love to hear from him as well. And John Finnegan, uh, another one of the legendary referees in the world of pro wrestling from ECW uh, may very well be joining us as well. So looks like we're adding more people. We're going to be definitely expanding our stories, expanding our horizons. And and most importantly is to entertain all of our listeners as well. Uh, Any takeaways from uh, this week's episode? No, it's just their their stories and their knowledge is ridiculous. Like, I would love to hang out with Nick and Jim and go for dinner or for adult beverages and just just hang out. The stories they would have to tell and would just be ridiculous. No, I I agree. I couldn't imagine. However, Nick kind of hurt my feelings. I don't know if you notice. On the, on my 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 little thing here, um, yeah. At ref Nick Papagee's favorite Canadian, he didn't say anything. It makes me sad. You're oh, well, we're gonna have to get him to uh, address that next week. No, hurt my feelings. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> He's done. Right. I like That's him it. better now. That's it. All right, I'm gonna strip here real fast. Oh man, I've been waiting for this moment. Yeah, that's a great way to get us uh, canceled. As if you got a referee shirt. Who bought you that? No, I got this referee shirt. I got this referee shirt. I, I, You know how hard it was to get this referee shirt because there were several vendors that I was trying to go through, but I finally got the right one. Amazon? Maybe. Finally found the right nice shirt, right, the right fabric. I have sensitive nipples, and that's why I have to make sure I only use a certain type of fabric. Yeah. All right, <sighs> let's get back. Let's get back into the show here. Um, you guys are joining us in our first segment. We were talking about Samoa Joe and Deanna Peraza um, coming into uh, AEW. I also want to talk a little bit more, really quickly about the fact that NXT is really starting to pick up a lot of viewership. They were over 700,000 again. Let me ask you, Butster, do you get a chance to check out NXT? Unfortunately, I don't. I should. I honestly 
just don't get around to it. And like, well, you, you know, Brandon, my buddy there, he's been on the show here. He's obviously a, a pro WWE guy, but he absolutely loves NXT. Every time I talk to him, he just raves about it, how great it is. I mean, so they're doing something right because their, their numbers don't lie. And, you know, if you just go online and go to, like, the, the – I guess they're not called message boards anymore. Now, now I'm dating myself. Yeah. If you, if you go, like, Bleacher Report or whatnot, and if you click on, like, comments and stuff, that people are, are talking very highly of NXT. Dare I say, it almost might be going back to black and gold levels. Original I, I think gold you're levels. not far off from that. I I agree with you. I think the product is getting really strong. I think they got a lot of great young talent. I think NXT under Shawn Michaels, obviously, obviously overseen completely by Triple H as well. They're definitely bringing things back that Vince McMahon really wouldn't have done before. And I think their stories are good. I think the talent is incredibly good, not only in the ring, but on the mic as well. And I do agree with you. I think that it's very reminiscent. Um, we're not too far away from the black and gold days again, and I'm excited uh, about seeing that. Wanted to ask you this question as well. You know, there's a lot of speculation on, you know, what's going to happen with Roman Reigns. Uh, some people believe that there's been a lot of chatter that he may keep the championship uh, through WrestleMania 42. So we start to get into a situation here of, A, why would they do something like that? But who would be the next face of the company, and who would be the person who would be most likely to dethrone Roman Reigns? And Kevin Nash on his podcast with Sean Oliver, uh, I believe it's called Click This, he basically says he's putting all his chips in on Gunther to go ahead and be the next guy. So... I think we all agree Gunther is, is phenomenal. Uh, Gunther, formerly known as Walter, uh, is phenomenal. But then you have to look at the situation and say, well, Cody is supposed to be finishing his story, whatever that may be at this point. CM Punk is now back. What do we do about that? And then you have Damian Priest, who may want to cash in his briefcase. So you have a lot of situations here. You have a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Do you agree with Kevin Nash and that Gunther probably would be a really good choice, believability, being a good heel, all this kind of stuff? Or do you think that it's more likely going to be a Cody or a CM Punk or fill in the blank, maybe an L.A. Knight? Uh, definitely not going to be L.A. Knight. Uh, I think the bloom's falling off the rose. Did I say that right? Rose is falling off the bloom or whatever the hell it is. Okay, okay pause there for a second. Off. Pause there for a second. Why would you say that? Because the landscape has changed mm -hmm. since he was white hot? Yep. Or That's he himself exactly. has cooled down? No, I think he's just as good as he was. It's just the landscape has changed. He's he's going to become a forgotten mid-carter. That's what I think is going to happen. I hope it doesn't happen. I think he deserves better. I think he was a victim of timing. He got red hot at the wrong time. Correct. Unfortunately, uh, Punk coming back in, I think, basically sealed that deal. Uh, I think it's pushed Cody back. No, I'm going to go Punk's next champion. Oh, wow. I'm, I mean, not I'm, saying not... I, I'm not saying I like it. I'm not saying it's a good idea. I could see it, though. 
You think, just, you think it's you're laying the screws to AEW? You are. Because you can't tell me that doesn't factor into it because AEW would do to WWE in a heartbeat. So you lay the screws to him. Once again, CM Punk's fans are rabid. Rabid. Like they are crazy. You know, every time he's on TV, it'll be a huge draw again because that's just the way he is. You know, it would make sense. Now, once again, we're going to fall into the Samoa Joe like we talked about in the first segment. Right. Is it a long-term thing? No. I don't think that'll be the case. But I can see it's just a matter of he's hot right now. He's incredibly hot. LA Knight's cooled off. Cody's cooled off a little bit. Punk's kind of taking all the shine from everybody right now, I think. So I see them going that route, transitional thing. I don't see Gunther ever being champion. Has there ever been a non-North American champion? Well, I guess no, there's been a couple. Now that I think about it, Ray. Yokozuna. Yeah. But Yokozuna, he's American. He is, but I mean, you mean as far as the character? Well, just knowing like in real life. Has there oh, ever in real been, life. I mean. Has there ever been a Kali? He was champion, yeah, I don't think he was WWE champion though. Or you mean just world heavyweight or, or what no, are we like WWE champion, like the, the, the face of WWE, they're their big champion. Gosh, that's a great question. I don't think there has been. It's a great question. I mean, I don't think there has been. You know, there's something to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you also got to think of the reason why you would keep somebody is because obviously this is your biggest market right now i know wwe is wanting to go ahead and, and go into europe as well um and they originally had an uh, nxt uk but now they're going to become i want to say um a different I- iteration of nxt over in europe and that was originally from what i've been told why they wanted will osprey so bad because they had somebody who had wrestled a lot over in the UK. They wanted to have somebody who had such a big presence and it just didn't happen. So, but so we'll, I think that's your, your drawback with Gunther. I mean, somebody has got to be the first, but history says it won't happen. Well, the iron, okay. Uh, the iron chic. Was yeah, WWE champion before Hogan true. beat him for the big green belt. That's true. No, I, I stand corrected. It's a good point. Um Yeah, but that's a that's a tough one to that's a tough one to say. I mean I don't know. I just don't think Gunther's next. Do do you feel like this whole Cody finishing the story is gonna happen? No. So if you're Cody you're getting paid ridiculous amounts of money. So there's no reason to be upset from a financial standpoint. Do you think Cody ultimately deep down inside when he's by himself privately in a room and he's just with his thoughts would be ultimately very upset if he never became WWE champion with this current run with the company? I'm sure he would because the rumor is that's what he went back for. That's what the program that he had, he was running, he's still running. Right. Is that he's going back to be the champion. Right. 
So I'm sure he he would be. It's a legacy thing for Cody. It's, sure. It's a little bit of ego for Cody. I would agree with that. Right? And I'm not saying that to cut him up. You know, so fucking Cody's amazing. What's a little bit of ego to that man? Well, I mean, if we talk about ego and whatnot, we talk about, you know, a prideful thing. When you talk about Cody and Dustin, Dustin's clearly had the better career, no doubt. Dustin has been a bigger star, no doubt. Um, when you think about what he did as the Gold Dust character, the Gold Dust character is iconic in WWE. There is nothing iconic about what, and, and think about this Gold Dust was never a WWE champion, but what he has done, his body of work is it solidifies him already. He didn't need to be the champion, if that makes sense. Gold Dust, the minute that music hits and the glitter starts to fall down, you start to have all of these memories of these classic Gold Dust matches and the comedy he did later on in his run with WWE. Um, you don't see that fascination with Dustin. And I, I don't know if Dustin's ever... With no, 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 I'm talking Dustin. Dustin's okay, never been fascinated with being WWE champion. No, okay, yes. So it's he's true. never. He's had the bigger career between the two brothers. Mm-hmm. So I just find it to be interesting that Cody is taking up this torch. I want to win the championship. Dad never won. Yada, yada, yada. But Dustin never had that feeling. But yet Dustin has been the bigger star. And arguably, I mean, unless Cody has one hell of a run towards the end of his career... I don't think he'll ever eclipse what Goldust did. And, and that's just my opinion. But what's your thoughts? Dustin, I would say, overall has had a bigger career. Two different personalities. Very much so. Uh, and, and that's the thing right there. They have different mindsets on a lot of stuff. Now, Dustin in the day had some issues. Sure. Not not to bring up bad about the man. Do you think that might have factored into why he maybe wasn't so much concerned about you know the the Fish and Dad story? Because you know, in his prime, in his true prime, he was battling some demons. He was. I mean, arguably, I think a lot of guys in that time were. I mean, Shawn Michaels was battling some oh, stuff back oh, then. Yeah, most of them were. Uh, I, Jake I think was. That's not good to say, but a lot of them were. But I, I, I think your biggest thing between the two is they're just very different people. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I get the feeling Dustin is a throw, more of a throwback to your, more your, your old school wrestler. Versus Cody is a hybrid between the two. He, he still has some of the old school values. Like, you know, his matches are pretty physical. They're very um, Memphis-type, Texas-type matches. Physical, he doesn't mind busting open. Right. You know, stuff like that. But he still has a little bit of the new flair to him, the new uh, uh, showmanship. Not I think about it, but Goldust is pretty showy, pretty flashy, if you think about it that way. So, yeah, I'm basically talking about my ass right now, aren't I? Well, I, I don't necessarily think I would say that, but I just find it to be interesting when he says, I'm there to finish my dad's story, referring to Cody. 
Dusty never competed for the WWE Championship, so it wasn't as if he was challenging and never won, challenging and never won. Dusty was never highlighting a WrestleMania and lost, highlighting a SummerSlam for the WWE Championship, highlighting a Survivor Series. So my big question is, what the hell is he trying to finish like, I feel like, you know, my dad's legacy, he never became the champion. And they showed all of this footage of Dusty. But Dusty was never in a feud for the world title in WWE. Because during his time in WWE was very short. Got to keep mm-hmm. that in mind. The Polka Dot Man was only there for a very short amount of time. And if you remember, who did he feud with? Macho King and Sherry. DiBiase. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think of, he only had a few notable feuds because I think he was only there for maybe two and a half years. So I guess maybe I'm looking into this whole finish the story thing, maybe too deep, but I just don't, I I don't understand the concept behind finish the story. I mean, he was international world champion when the big gold belt was the international world championship. And he won that. Ronnie Garvin had that as well. But I just I don't get it. Like I'm maybe I'm missing out on the story, but I don't understand where this originates from. Maybe you're just reading into it a little more is wrestling. It's just it's a wrestling story. Doesn't always need to make sense. You know, it's just a story. And it's a story that's been working. Fans are behind him. It has. You're right. So it's wrestling. A lot of a lot of stuff doesn't make sense. Remember, it used to be had used to have a clown. There was a dead man as the champion, and he lit his brother on fire. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it, it, it's pro wrestling, Mike. You don't need to, to look too much into it. You don't need to take it so seriously. Just just enjoy the ride. So he was in the WWF from 1989 to 1991. Two years. It was not very long. Not very long at all. Um, DiBiase was a big guy that he feuded with. He also feuded with Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, I think there was some stuff with Earthquake in it. Let's see here. What else? Yeah, I mean, it, it really talks about these were the main matches that he had during that time. And then 1991, he returned back to WCW. So, and everything I'm seeing right here was, okay, well, he did some stuff with Jim Neidhart and Coco Beware, which was, it's Jim Neidhart and Coco Beware, enough said. Um, But he was never really put into a big situation. He was put into some good stories, I would say, but he was never competing for the title. So anyway, well, Dusty would have been in a good story with anybody because Dusty I, I, could just tell a good story. Well, I know I wondered why they never did, and I mean it would be babyface person, babyface, and they would never do that. Hogan and Dusty Rhodes because somebody would have to be the the heel. So that's why that probably never happened. But never really did a Piper and Dusty Rhodes situation, which I thought would have been interesting. Oh, can you imagine the promos? Oh, the Dusty and Roddy. Oh my God, Dusty and Jake Roberts. Yeah. So, all right. Well, with that being said, it has been so much fun. Any final comments, thoughts, anything on this week's episode? Talked about 
Samoa Joe, Deanna Peraza. We talked about finishing the story with Cody Rhodes, what's going to be happening during WrestleMania. And then we talked about all different types of crazy matches and steel cage matches with our front row referee. Anything you'd like to add before we say goodnight? No. It was good hanging out with you again. It's fun getting back together with you. For those of you who don't know this, we always get together and we tape the shows. And sometimes schedules just don't line up. Sometimes health situations uh, with me particularly haven't been so great. So the Butster's been incredibly patient with me. So I appreciate that, brother. No problem. Too easy. Well, my friends, it's been fun. Again, subscribe to the podcast. You can find it anywhere fine podcasts are made available. It's so simple and easy. Hit the subscribe button. You can go and get that. We are on Apple iTunes. All you got to do is search for Front Row Material. It's got my name and the Butster himself, Christopher Butt. We lead this each and every week. Also, we have our YouTube channel where we already put up our first episode of Front Row Referee. It's going to be going up again uh, probably this week as well. So check that out. Share that with friends on all forms of social media. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button. We're going to see how far we can go here uh, before summer hits. My goal, here's my goal, is for us to have 100 subscribers. I think that would be a great first start. And then we can uh, continue to grow from there. But it's because you listeners who make this show so worthwhile and worth doing all seven of you yes (laughs) we appreciate you we appreciate you and we love you all for christopher butt i'm mike freeland we'll catch you next time on front row material and front row referee